Today is World Communion Sunday, and in just a few moments, I will be down at the table presiding over communion, over the sacrament. Now, I have authority to do that because I went to four years of college. I went to three years of seminary, got my Master's of Divinity, and then I wrote papers and went through interviews and appeared before the Board of Ordained Ministry in the United Methodist Church. After several years, they approved me to move forward as an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. After the Board of Ordained Ministry approved me, I then went before the whole clergy session of the Tennessee Annual Conference and was voted upon and allowed to become an elder in the United Methodist Church, which gives me the authority to stand at the table of the sacrament and preside. So I can only imagine how it would feel if while I'm in the middle of doing the liturgy at the communion table, some stranger were to walk in through the door that none of us had ever seen before and just elbow me aside and start doing it himself. I would be very quick to ask him, who do you think you are? Who gave you the authority to come and and lead the sacrament in the United Methodist Church? Where did you study? Who ordained you? Who gave you permission to be here? These are the exact questions that the chief priests are asking Jesus in the temple. Now, before we look into their conflict, I want to zoom out a little bit and give you some context of where we are in the life and story of Jesus. For most of Jesus' ministry, most of Matthew's gospel that we've been spending time in, Jesus is in Galilee, in the backwaters of Galilee, among the peasants, teaching and preaching and healing. But in chapter 21, he enters Jerusalem. And we hear that story on Palm Sunday. He comes in on a donkey and all of the crowds are waving their palm branches. And the first thing he does when he arrives in Jerusalem is storm into the temple. And when he sees all of the money changers and all of the tables, he is so filled with anger at how the leaders of the temple are exploiting the people, how they've turned God's house of prayer into a den of robbers. And so he turns over the tables and calls out their hypocrisy. He's not on the good side of these chief priests then, you might say. And the very next day, he goes back to the temple and establishes himself as the teaching authority in the temple. He goes in day after day and teaches the crowds in the temple. And so the chief priests and other leaders are trying to dislodge him from this place of power. And what we have over the next few chapters of Matthew's Gospel are five different confrontations that Jesus has with religious leaders. And this is the first one. It is the chief priests and the elders of the people who come to Jesus. And they come first because they are the guardians of the temple. They are the ones with authority to make decisions and to rule over the people in the temple. They're the ones with the power and the legitimate resume. And so that's why they come to Jesus and question his authority. Who gave you permission to come and teach in the temple? Who do you think you are? Now the chief priests know who they are. They know what their source of authority is. A person became a chief priest because it 
was part of his bloodline. It was passed down from father to son to grandson to great-grandson. It came down through the tribe of Levi, through the line of blood. Then a person who wanted to be a chief priest perhaps would need to get some education and some training, but then he was set for life. And with the authority of the chief priests, they held status and power and prestige. Some scholars suggest that these few families who controlled the temple sometimes acted like a mafia in the way that they controlled things and, and took advantage of the people for their own profit and own, their own gain. But if anybody questioned them, they knew exactly where their authority came from. But not Jesus. Jesus' authority doesn't come from any particular bloodline. It doesn't come from his education or his training or his ordination. His authority comes from who he is. He is the Son of God. God made flesh the Messiah, the Christ. And the crowds who have gathered around him recognize and know his authority by who he is, by how he teaches, by how he loves. But the chief priests don't see it. They're blind to who Jesus is. They're so caught up in their own power games and turf wars and legitimate authority that they cannot see the Son of God standing right in their midst. They're blind and deaf. So when they confront Jesus, they ask him by whose authority he dares to enter the temple and start to teach. He turns the tables on them and responds with another question. And it's all about, well, how would you say who John the Baptist is and what his authority was? And you'll notice the chief priests and elders don't answer from their own sense of conviction, from their own heart. Now, they're more interested in how it's going to look politically. What are the crowds going to think? And so they answer, we don't know. He has stumped and silenced these leaders. And then he goes on to tell a parable. A parable of two sons. A father goes to the first son and says, go work out in the field. And the son says, nah, I'm good. I got that from my son, Tate. Tate, you want to go fold your clothes? Nah, I'm good. I've learned to rephrase it so it's not a question anymore. But that first son says, no. And later, Jesus says, he changes his mind. And he goes out and works in the field and does the will of his father. The other son says, sure, Dad, I will go. Yes, sir. And he never goes. He never actually does what his father wanted him to do. He just paid lip service to it. And so what is Jesus trying to point out to these chief priests and elders and to the people who were gathered as they hear this parable? Well, it's pretty clear the way Matthew interprets it. These chief priests are like that second brother who give lip service to God, who wear the robes and have the credentials, and yet they are not 
in sync with who God is and what God is doing among them. They are so caught up in protecting their power and traditions and the status quo that they cannot see God right in front of them in the temple. And yet there are those, the most unlikely people, tax collectors and prostitutes, those who are deemed unsavory and unworthy by these religious authorities who somehow are able to change their minds and see that God is right there in the person of this nobody from Galilee, this healer who never went to seminary or was ordained, this Messiah who speaks in love and in truth. They are the ones who get it. So my friends, as, as we listen to this parable, and as you're probably tired of hearing me say, there is underneath every text of scripture an invitation. What is the invitation that we receive from this story of confrontation and this parable that Jesus tells? Well, one invitation is pretty clear. The invitation to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. The invitation not to get caught up in, in externals, in the robes and the stoles and the perfect attendance at church and all of the things that we do on the outside to, to look like we're faithful people. To, as John Wesley said, to have the form of religion without the power. No, it's not about all of these external things. It's about walking the walk, living as Jesus lived, loving as Jesus loved, keeping our eyes and hearts and ears and minds open to the idea that God may be speaking in a new way, may be doing a new thing, may come to us in a messenger we would never expect or receive were we not paying attention. And that's the, the second invitation I hear in this story. To examine ourselves and see if there is within us a little bit of the chief priest as is portrayed in this account of Jesus. Do we, do I have a tendency to, to guard the status quo? To believe that I have captured God in my traditions, in my rules, in my book of discipline, in my liturgies, whatever it may be. And to be blind to the new thing, the new people, the new ways that God might be revealing God's self right in front of me. Am I so caught up in protecting my own, my own power and my own status that I can't make room for the other. As we celebrate World Communion Sunday this morning, we're mindful of the myriad ways that God is revealed in cultures and people and languages and imagery that is totally different from our own. May we allow Jesus in this story to confront us and challenge us and upend what we think we know about God. 
The Reverend Charles Campbell tells a story about channel surfing one day, and he found himself watching an episode of Dr. Phil, the television psychologist, or whatever his credentials are, I don't know. But someone asked Dr. Phil, if you could interview anybody in the world from any era, who would you like to interview? And Dr. Phil said, what many people say, I'd love to interview Jesus of Nazareth so I could talk to him and ask him about the meaning of life. And Reverend Campbell said, oh no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to interview Jesus because as soon as you start interviewing Jesus, he turns the tables and you become the one being interviewed. He upends everything that we think we know about ourselves and about others. That's exactly what Jesus does to these chief priests and elders. It's what he might do with us if we allow ourselves to receive this story. May we be open and courageous and curious and humble enough to welcome Jesus in and allow him to surprise us and even change our minds.